Let's turn now to the word of the Lord to 1 Peter chapter 5, reading the first four verses there. This is ordination installation service here at our church. You'll notice there's a large portion of the, the bulletin that we just skipped over. Well, all that will be done in the next two services at 930 and again at 11 to ordain and install a new set of officers. We have some elders coming on and some new deacons as well. And uh, you ought to, if you can, avail yourself of one of those hours to witness that service. It's a wonderful time of seeing how the Lord works among us in setting aside certain men to these offices. And then this morning, setting them in place to do a particular work. This morning in this passage deals with that of the elder. Hear the word of the Lord. For I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, nor for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Peter's talking directly to the elders of the church, and he refers to himself with a unique term. It's not used anywhere else in Scripture nor in ancient literature as far as we can find. He really puts two words together. He puts the word for together with the word for elder, presbuteros. And what he means is elder together or together with and it's translated here in our text, a fellow elder. That's who Peter considered himself to be, a fellow elder. Let's think about that for a moment. Here is Artemis Bajacus in the Greek world who's just been appointed an elder in his little congregation. More than likely, his little congregation is a simple expansion of a house church where an individual family and others gathered together to worship the Lord and to have the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, prayer, their time of instruction and exhortation, their time of healing and laying on of hands and fellowship and all the things that these small churches enjoyed. And here was a man who had been set aside for this particular role. He had not been to seminary. He had not even taken a tour to the Holy Land. He had never been to Jerusalem. He may have never met an apostle. He may have simply heard the word of an evangelist and believed the gospel. He certainly wasn't a Jew and certainly wasn't a scribe or a rabbi and an expert in the Old Testament Scriptures, but here he was. 
a Gentile, a man of predominantly Greek culture. But he was a family man. He had a family, a wife, children, a household. And he had exercised a certain amount of authority, care, rule, protection of that family. And that's really what an elder was in the ancient world throughout the Greco-Roman culture as well as the Hebrew culture. Now it had been refined quite a bit in the Hebrew culture because those who were of hoary head, that's gray-headed, <laughs> that's what it means. That's literally what the word elder means. It means an old man. <laughs> and if you'll look back, most of God's servants were over the age of 40. David was uh, 40 when he became king. Moses was 80 when he began to lead God's people. Abraham was about 90 when he got a call and over 100 when he began to do the things the covenant called for. That's who an elder was. He was a, a more mature man, usually already in the position of a head of a household. And then here's Peter. Peter says that he has been an eyewitness of the sufferings of Christ. Here's Peter. Peter heard that call that Jesus gave that day that said, come follow me. Peter had been with Jesus time and again, place after place throughout his entire ministry. If Jesus had an inner circle, it was Peter, James, and John. And Peter was in the middle of that circle. It was Peter that had been on the Mount of Transfiguration, that had seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He had seen Christ's transcendent glory manifested there on the mountain. It was Peter that had heard the inner teaching of the Spirit of God. Flesh and blood did not reveal it to him, but he was taught of God who Jesus was, and he declared, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you know the story of Peter. We've studied Peter over and over, and we've looked at him. He went throughout the ministry of Christ, seeing the miracles, participating. He was one of the, the disciples that the Lord sent forth. It was Peter who had said to the Lord, if they're coming to kill you, they'll have to kill me too, because I'll die right alongside of you, Lord. When, but a few hours after that, that they came to get the Lord. Peter pulled out his sword. He was ready to fight. He didn't want to die right then. He wanted the other guy to die. Wasn't too many minutes after that that Peter is warming his hands by the fire, cursing and denying that he even knew Jesus three times. Wasn't long after that, the Bible says that he went out and he wept bitterly. Peter had an emotional stake. He had a life stake in Christ. And then we know the tender story of 
how Jesus met with the disciples who had been fishing all night long and the Lord prepared a meal on the seashore and called to the disciples to come and dine. And John had looked and recognized and said, it's the Lord. Peter was probably wondering how he stood in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord had looked longingly and sadly and maybe just a little condemnation or at least conviction at Peter when he saw him across the courtyard deny him. And now Peter sees the resurrected Lord on the shore. Do you remember what happened? The Lord prepared a meal gathered the disciples in and taught them some more and convinced them by many more infallible proofs that he was indeed the, the Lord who had crucified, had been buried, and now was alive and was genuinely in his human body, but it was a resurrected, glorified body. And they began to learn of him in this new dimension. And one more time, Peter's warming his hands by the fire the fire that's cooking the fish and the bread. But this time he's hearing the Lord say, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, I love you, Lord. And then the Lord says to Peter, as he asked that question, and Peter gets a little uh, perturbed, I think. Maybe, it, maybe the Lord doesn't believe that I love him, really. I mean, I've, I've denied him and I'm not going to really convince him. This is, this is intimacy. This is very personal. Peter remembered when he first heard the call, the Lord said, come follow me. And Peter forsook his nets and followed the Lord. And now he's sitting there eating fish, wondering if the Lord's going to have him back. Wondering if the Lord is calling him at all. But the Lord does a wonderful thing. He reinforces just like Peter had cursed and denied the Lord three times, three times the Lord asked him, three times he gave him his instruction. He said, tend my lambs, feed my sheep, shepherd my flock. Different facets of saying, be a shepherd to my people. Peter was there when the Lord ascended. Peter was there with the group in the upper room, the little tiny church meeting there, 120 disciples in one accord in prayer and fellowship and breaking of the bread and in the memory of the Lord, waiting, tarrying for the Spirit. Peter was there as we saw last week at Pentecost. In fact, he was the one that stood up and preached there in Solomon's porch, the powerful sermon at Pentecost, preached Christ and Him crucified preached Christ and Him raised and ascended and enthroned as the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Peter had been challenged. He'd been thrown in jail for preaching. He'd been given up for dead. He'd been prayed out of a prison by a real prayer meeting. Peter had been through a lot. But 
Demetrius Bajacus and Peter are fellow elders. Think about that. That's the call for the elder is to walk in those shoes, to stand in that, to be in that same yoke, to be a fellow worker. That's the way Paul refers to them awful, as yoke fellows, just like two oxen or two mules will pull together in the yoke, the fellow elder. And that's who the men of this church are. They're fellow elders with Peter. Now, there's something that Peter had said. He said he was an eyewitness of the sufferings of Christ. And he deals with suffering. He said that Christ suffered once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. Peter was a witness of that suffering of Christ. And he had come to see and learn what that meant. Peter had recalled Psalm 22, where it talked about the ordeal of the crucifixion and God forsaking his son because his son was bearing in his body sin and reproach and condemnation. And the Lord is of two pure eyes to behold iniquity. And Christ Jesus was the summation of iniquity as he hung upon that tree under that curse. Peter was a witness of that suffering. He had heard the Lord's cry, no doubt. He had seen the Lord bleed. He had heard the words of the Lord on the on the cross. He followed afar off. Peter had been a doubter of the resurrection. In fact, he was a doubter of everything. He said, when Jesus was in the tomb, he looked to the other disciples and he said, I go a fishing. <laughs> I'm going back to where I came from. I'm going back to Galilee. I'm going back to Capernaum. I'm going back to the nets. But when he got the testimony of the women, nobody could outrun Peter to the tomb except for the younger John. And John saw the empty tomb, but Peter went in. Eyewitness. The angel said, come see the place where the Lord lay. And there laid out on that slab were the grave clothes with the blood soaked through them as the blood upon the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament with the cherub and the angels on either side painting the picture. Peter had seen the sufferings of Christ. And then he saw him alive. He witnessed his glory. He knew the meaning of the suffering. And that's what Peter's life, the Lord had given him some real comforting words there the night that the Lord was betrayed. You remember Peter told, the Lord told Peter, 
One of these days, they're going to take you and lead you where you do not want to go. I use that a little bit sometime when I'm visiting with some of our dear elderly folks in the nursing homes. They're feeling kind of helpless and being attended to and sometimes feeling kind of of useless and, and from time to time they are a little depressed or discouraged because they don't have their own way anymore. They don't have their car. They don't have their own home. They're not cooking their own meals. They, they just are sitting there letting others do things. I said, you're kind of like Peter where they're leading you where you don't want to go. And that's, that's a metaphor of the life of the believer. You're led where you don't want to go. You walk through valleys you don't want to walk through. You come up against circumstances you don't want to face. You have to associate with people you really don't want to be around. That's all part of the walk. That's part of the pilgrimage. That's part of the sojourn that the Lord leads us through. And Peter had walked through these paths. But he knew that every step he took was a step in the footprints of Jesus. Because he said here that he is to be an example to the flock. And Peter's example was Christ. And that's our example. So the exhortation is to shepherd the flock. The word that's used here in the context, and it's used two other times in the New Testament in a similar context where the word elder, the word overseer, and the word shepherd are used in a tight nexus with each other. Paul, on the Isle of Miletus, speaking to the elders of Ephesus, tells them to shepherd the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. The word overseer is the word episkopos. We get our word bishop. It means someone that, that watches over and examines carefully. It's from two Greek words that are compounded together. Epi means intense. And scopus means to see. A telescope, a microscope is by which we see. And it is to look at, to watch intently. And that's the job of the elder. The elders to be an overseer. But the model is that of a shepherd. God's always led His people through shepherds. Abraham was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. And that's the model. We come to the great shepherd that's mentioned in the text. The chief shepherd. He called Himself the good shepherd. It's Christ. And let me just illustrate what I mean. The way that the elders are to have the oversight and to shepherd God's people are three things that are outlined here quickly in the text. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples. And this is precisely what Jesus did. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Christ came and suffered willingly. He gave His life. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. It was a willful, deliberate, determinative act that the Lord accomplished our salvation. 
He came willingly, not under any kind of compulsion. And a shepherd is to have the same kind of self-sacrificing, willing giving of himself to the flock. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. This goes to motive. The motive of the heart of our Lord coming to Calvary's cross and dying for us was a motive of love. Love. The Father in sending Him so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Herein is love. Christ gave Himself. There's a sense, I think, in which the Lord could not wait to do what He needed to do to secure our salvation. His motive drove him to an eagerness to serve. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that brings up the the next thing here, not domineering over those in your charge. The word domineering is the word Lord, not lording it over, but being the servant of all. And those in your charge, it's interesting, it's the word for allotment. It's, it's like the Old Testament uh, allotments in the land where uh, Joshua uh, supervised a process whereby people got certain portions of the land. Not all of it, just a portion. And elders of our church, they're not in charge of the whole wide world. They're in charge of their allotment. You won't find the kind of hierarchical thing in the biblical teaching of the ministry that you'll see in some Christian denominations. It's just not there. The office of elder was not hereditary. The office of elder was not traditional. The office of elder was not authoritarian. It was that which God had An elder was not even called to have special gifts. He was not given a special endowment of the Spirit as some of the Old Testament prophets and the apostles were. He was a godly functionary. He was a man who had given himself to do a job, in a sense a thankless task in many ways, but he did it out of good motive and being example to the flock just like Christ is the example for us. The charge to the elders is shepherd. That's the word, that's the the imperative here. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. It's a humble office. It is an office that will not find a whole lot of glory in it if it's exercised correctly. Because here's where the glory is. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 